0: Let me pray here briefly. Uh, Father, we come as those who need to know You more fully. Lord, all of our understanding has been darkened by the fall. Your Word is truth and light, and we ask that Your Spirit would be at work to use these words from Your Word this morning to, to change us, Lord, to show us more of Yourself, to make us more like Jesus, the One who has saved us. And the one in whose image, Lord, you're transforming us through both the truth and through those situations that you take us through daily. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. You might have heard an old joke uh, before. It's, it's dated. Um, there used to be a dial up prayer for atheists, but they eventually discontinued the service. The trouble was that you'd call the number and it would ring and it would ring, but no one would answer. Guys, that's as good as it gets this morning. On on a bad joke, a wing and a prayer, we're starting a new series this morning. It's a short one. It's only going to be six weeks long. We're starting a series on prayer. And with the series, we're also starting or maybe giving new emphasis to prayer church-wide as well. So you may have noticed last month there's a prayer sheet. It's a calendar for the church. You can take that home and use it and you can pray each day of the month for some folks here in the church. If you don't have one of those, you can pick one up for June on the table as you go out. We want to give more emphasis on praying for each other in our homes every day of the week. We'll also start monthly prayer services, and the time and the schedule and the place for that is yet to be determined. That will probably start up in September. Um, with those, with the monthly ones, we'll every third one, every quarter of those, we'll actually enlarge that slightly. There'll be a time of worship and some meditations from the Scriptures and that as well. Some of you may have been to a service we held here probably two years ago on a Saturday morning in which we alternated some biblical reading, some emphasis there, as well as some worship and prayer. It was really a great, great time, and we'll use that model a little bit at least on those quarterly meetings. So Just as an FYI, it's a new series, but it's also something that we want to make really practical for us as a church as well, giving appropriate emphasis to prayer. Now, I'm aware that as soon as I say prayer, we're going to pray, or there's going to be a prayer meeting, the yawns and the sighs begin for some. Or for others, a a certain sense of frustration begins too. Because the secret for a lot of us is that though we feel like we should have an expectation of prayer up here, our own experience is way down here. And that sort of means I, I pray and I pray the way I think God wants me to, and yet I just don't see much come through. There's a certain frustration for us related to prayer as well, so I'm well aware of that as we begin. But the truth is, as you look through the pages of the Bible, you cannot help but be struck That God's people pray. God's people pray. You know, if you look through the book of Psalms, we know it's a book of songs. The early church sang through the Psalms. The worshipers in the temple in Israel's day sang through the Psalms. But it's also a book of prayer. And you'll see prayers of lament there. And you'll see prayers of dedication. Prayers of celebration. But it's it's prayers. It's prayers for individuals and it's prayer for the corporate entity as well you look in the Gospels at the life of Jesus, you cannot help be struck by this also, that though Jesus Himself was God on the earth, Jesus had a life that was characterized by prayer, both personal prayer and corporate prayer. I'm struck perhaps most personally by the book of Acts. Thirty times or so, prayer is mentioned in the book of Acts. Acts. And this is a time in which signs and wonders are still taking place. The apostles are there, the folks that knew Jesus, had touched him, knew him personally. Signs and wonders are going on, and yet they are praying regularly. It's the pattern in the book of Acts. They're praying. And so if prayer has been the norm for God's people throughout the ages, and if the Son of God on earth had a habit of prayer... And if in the days of the early church prayer was the norm, then it's a pretty good guess that for you and I today, prayer should be a vital part of our life. And if it's not, we're probably missing out on something. So, whether we start with a yawn and a sigh or some sense of frustration, we need to work at this thing of prayer because it's part of the life God calls us to. Now, six weeks may sound like a lot to talk about prayer. It's really, really not. This is a really truncated, really short series on prayer. This isn't the first word on prayer, and it won't be the last by any means. We won't cover all the major passages in the Bible on prayer. We won't even hardly scratch the surface. We're not going to answer any of the many frustrations probably all of us have. We're just going to make a little dent in this whole arena, this part of our life that hinges around prayer. We're going to do this by looking at the model Jesus gave His disciples for prayer, and thanks to Dan and the rest of the worship team, the song that we started with this morning was in part kicking off this short series on prayer from the Lord's Prayer here. We're going to use the Lord's Prayer model found in Matthew 6, verses 9-13. through And I'm changing gears in this series. I'm going to be using the ESV just FYI. Um, There's a similar passage in Luke 11 verses 2 through 4 that covers the same prayer. Uh, We sometimes call this the Lord's Prayer. It's also called the Disciples' Prayer because it's for them to use. I grew up, it was called the Our Father. And in fact, if you think of that for me, the Our Father wasn't so much a part of Scripture, it was a prayer that we would recite. And you know, For most of us, if we know a canned prayer, it's probably the Our Father. And you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with us as a church reciting that passage of Scripture. Or for us at home, if we pray the Lord's Prayer, we recite that passage of Scripture. That's all fine. But if that's all we did, we'd probably be missing the point. Because Jesus offers this as a model for prayer so that we're thinking about things the way God does, and as we approach Him in prayer, we're using this as a model. It's not a prayer in and of itself in a limited way, but it's a model for prayer. So if we just say it, that's okay, but as you'll see in the passage here in just a moment, to just repeat the same prayer over and over again goes contrary to the flow of Jesus' thought in this passage in Matthew 6. If you've got your Bible or your study sheet, this text is included there. I'm going to start reading in Matthew 6 at verse 1, just because I want the context Jesus is speaking from as we start this. This is Matthew 6, verses 1 through 13. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. When you pray, by the way, just note, Jesus doesn't say if you pray. Jesus says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First things here, notice that before Jesus talks about the things we should do in prayer, he talks about the things we should do not do. He gives a list of don'ts before he says, do this. So in Matthew six, verses one and two, Jesus starts with finances. And there he says, related to your giving, don't give in front of others so that others can see you. Don't sound a trumpet before you give so that others will know how much you're giving and how important you are and how spiritual you are. Because then you're doing it just for men, and Jesus says, that will be your full reward. And on the sounding of trumpet, Jesus may be referring to a person, in essence, shouting out or declaring before they give how much they're giving. But he could also be making reference to the fact that in those days, the boxes in which you would give were a box on the ground with a metal, basically horn-shaped metal Uh, opening that you'd throw your money in and so the more coins you threw in the louder that trumpet shaped metal opening would sound so if i wanted to be discreet in my giving i could quietly let my coins no bills my coins slip in but if i wanted people to know how important i was because of how much i was giving i could throw my coins in loudly it would make a loud sound and everyone would know mike just threw in a lot of coin he's spiritual he's important So Jesus says, be careful in your giving. You're not giving for a human audience. If you do, the fact that those people saw you give, knew you gave a lot, that's the extent of your reward. He switches to prayer in verse 5, and he says, don't be like the hypocrites who pray in public so that they will be seen by others to the same end. You'll know how important I am because I stand in a public, prominent place and pray. The use of the term hypocrite, do you remember back in the day in which this was written and in the Greek world, a hypocrite was someone who put on a mask for the sake of a role in a play. So this is the thought that I go out in public and it's as if I'm going onto the stage and the public is my audience and I put on a mask for the role I'm going to play. And then when I go home, I'm myself, I take my mask off and I'm a different person. And so Jesus says, don't be like an actor, that I'm one thing in public and I'm another thing at home. I'm playing to the audience of the people around me. And Jesus says, if we do that, if you do that, your reward is that they heard you and they saw you. And guys, that's a pitiful reward. If that's all we're after, that's a pittance. That's not much of a return. So Jesus says, if The audience is the public around us. We're giving and we're praying with the wrong audience in mind. And just at a point of application, it's good and it's healthy to ask ourselves, am I one thing in front of others and another thing at home? And kids, this applies to you too. Am I one person to my parents and my siblings but someone else to my friends at school or to the larger public that I interact with? Or when we pray, do you guys ever feel like because I'm praying with other people, I've got to work up a holier sound or thought than I have in private? See, all of this would be going against what Jesus is saying. These are the don'ts. When we pray, either privately or corporately, Jesus says God is to be the audience, not each other. You know, and this is liberating if we think of praying with each other. We don't have to become someone we're not. We don't have to work up a certain kind of holiness that we think is impressive to others. Jesus says, take off the masks, and whether it's giving or praying, make God our audience. That's truly liberating. Don't pray like this, Jesus says, before he says, now do pray like this. This is going to seem really ridiculous, I think, but I'm only going to look at two words this morning, our and Father. This may be, appear to be majoring in the minors, but uh, I hope it's not. Jesus starts in this prayer with a plural and not a singular, and that's important. And in fact, if you look at the pronouns through this prayer, through this model prayer, related to the one praying, they're all plural. It's us. And it's our. When Jesus gives us a model for prayer, it's plural. It's about us. It's about we. If you think of a little kids with a toy, small kids with a toy, you know that if another little child comes up to share their toy, you know what they often say in a hurry? It's mine with conviction. Mine. I just want to share. No, it's my toy. Well, oftentimes our pattern for prayer is we're approaching God like we're holding on to our toy. And we approach God and it's all about me, my, and mine. And so when Jesus gives us a model for prayer, a model that reflects God's priorities, He starts with plural, with our. Not me and mine. Our. Our. You know, if you're a parent, how refreshing is it to you if one of your children comes up and they include their sibling or their friend when they make a request for something? Doesn't it just bless you because you get it that they're looking out for others? We can't really put ourselves in God's place, but think of this for a moment. You're with God in heaven, and you're listening. For a moment, you have omniscience, let's say, unlimited, severe so that you can hear every one of the prayers coming from, at any moment in time, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of Christians on the earth in a moment of time, all at the same time. That's what God's listening to, right? Every moment of every day. Now imagine that there's a hundred million voices saying, me, my, mine. If you were a parent, what would you think? Oh man, you know, save me, turn it off. But contrast to that with a hundred million voices saying, we and our. You'd understand that your kids get it. That you, a loving, sacrificial God who gave your son for others, those others now get that now it's not just about me and mine, now it's about us and we and our. What a difference it must be in God's ear To hear a hundred million voices say, our Father versus my Father, my needs, my wants, my wishes. This changes the way we start in our prayer. In fact, it makes prayer far more selfless. It embraces the thought that we are one of many, God loves us individually, but we are one of many of His children. And God wants us to approach prayer as a norm with the thought that it's us, it's we, it's not just me and mine. And think of this on the plural use, even if I approach God all by myself at home, no one else is around, the thought of plurality means I'm thinking of praying with or for others even when I'm by myself. You know, one of the greatest things we can do for each other is simply to pray for each other. I've said this before, it's one of my key things. When someone says, I have prayed, past tense, for you, it's the best thing I can hear. It's like they really care because they prayed for me, and someone else is going to God on my behalf to pray for me. I can think of no greater phrase that I appreciate hearing. You have been prayed for. That's the way I sign my emails to my daughters. You've been prayed for. You can count on it. Well, this plural, our Father, it's an invitation for us to bring others with us in prayer, to pray for others. And guys, in the church, in the body of Christ, who doesn't know 10, 20, 30, 100 people a 100 situations that they would just be thrilled if they knew you were praying for them? I thought about you enough. I wanted to pray for you. I was praying, and you were on my mind, and I prayed for you. This delights God's heart. Another way you use this plural is you think of Daniel 9. This is something we don't do very often. This is a whole concept for another time. In Daniel 9, Daniel uses the plural we when he is interceding for the nation of Israel to God. And when he prays, he identifies himself by using the plural we throughout this humble prayer of contrition and repentance And a request for God's forgiveness. And though Daniel himself has not sinned in the ways that the nation of Israel had. That have brought about God's judgment. Yet he identifies himself with the nation corporately. And throughout that prayer in Daniel 9 he says we. You know for us to identify with each other's sins. Or the sins of the church corporately. It's a humbling thing. That when I go to prayer am I willing to say Lord. We, your church, we, Lion and Lamb, we, your church in the West, we, your church at all, Lord, we've blown it. You see that use of plural in Daniel 9. None of this says that we can't approach God personally and privately and pour out our hearts to Him. I mean, at times, that's just what we need to do. You do see that in the Psalms. But as a norm, Jesus' model says we want to approach God with a sense of us and we, with a plurality, our. The other use of our here has to do with just praying corporately, praying with other people. You think in Jesus' context here, uh, as opposed to the hypocrite who put on a mask to go stand in the temple or in a synagogue or there in the public street, alone by themselves, where they could be singled out as some holy person praying, the hour here in the plural is also an invitation to pray corporately and humbly with others. Not just by myself, where people will see that I'm important, I'm praying, but corporately with each other. We can bring the plural hour into our private prayer, but we can also pray, plural, corporately. That's the other half of this invitation. When you look through the book of Acts, by the way, you'll see that most of the prayer in the life of the early church is recorded in Acts. It's corporate. The majority of the time, it's corporate prayer. So in Acts 1, verse 14, as the disciples of Jesus wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Remember when the Spirit comes in that upper room, they're all together in one place and they're praying corporately, waiting. Or in Acts 2.42, this is a verse that's well known to many. It's very descriptive of the life of the early church. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. The early church was devoted to corporate prayer. They were getting together to pray. Last example there is in Acts six four. the apostles say we'll devote ourselves corporately to prayer as well as the ministry of the Word. So, for the nation of Israel, corporate prayer was the norm. In Jesus' life, read through the Gospels. Luke's Gospel alone mentions prayer 26 times. The Bible mentions at least 300 times prayer as well. If this has been the norm in Jesus' life, and if it's the norm for the early church, it certainly should be our norm as well. The second half of this two-word study this morning, our Father, our Father, uh, the Greek for what it's worth is pater. Many of you know it's a familiar term for a father. It's not a formal address of father. It's more like dad, papa, daddy. Some of the commentators vary on what they think is too familiar and what's familiar enough, but it's a personal name for father. Father. And Jesus says, when you pray, you're approaching God with this thought of plurality to God as Father. Now, you know, if you're uh, in our culture today and someone says, pray in God's name, Father, we sort of take it for granted. It's a given. But if you were a Jew in Jesus' day, this was a radical departure. If you're a Jew in Jesus' day, God is distant Not necessarily impersonal, but you can't get to Him personally. Remember that in Jesus' day, physically, if you can put it in that term, physically God dwells only in the Holy of Holies inside the temple, above the Ark of the Covenant, behind the curtain. And you and I, if we were in that audience, we can't go say hi to God. We can't go up and approach God. And only one person, one man, the high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, can go in and see God up front and personal. For Jesus to say to the Jewish audience, pray to God as your Father, is a radical departure. To this person, you have a personal relationship. Yahweh, for the Jewish world, He was distant. He could only be approached through sacrifice. If you were a Gentile, you could only go up on the Temple Mount to the wall. I think it's called the sureg If you went past that, it was a death sentence. If you were a Jewish female, you could go into the court of the women. If you were a Jewish male, you could go into the inner court and you could look through the doorways to see where the sacrifices were done. That's as far as any of you could go. Only the high priest could go into the temple to the Holy of Holies. If you were a priest, you could go into the holy part of the temple to change out the showbread, put oil in the lamps, or burn incense. But for the Jewish audience that heard this, to call God Father was radical. This this was not the norm. We take it for granted today. They did not take it for granted. The only reason Jesus could say this was because He knew that in His impending death and then His resurrection for the sins of the world, He knew that as one of the gospel records states, He knew that in His death and resurrection, that veil of the temple would be torn in two and the way into the holy place into God's presence would be made. So you know, if you read in the letter to the Hebrews, it'll say, let us come boldly to God's throne to receive the grace and help when we have times of need. A Jewish audience could not have prayed this way. They couldn't have had this mindset. It's only after Jesus' resurrection... And it's in light of that that he says, you can address Yahweh as Father. This is entirely new. We take this for granted. The early church didn't. The Jewish audience didn't. You know, we sometimes today talk, not so much maybe as was done before. We're a fairly secular culture and society. But it was more prominent in decades back. People would talk generally of God as the Father of all humanity and of the brotherhood of all of humanity. And there's a general sense in which that's very true, that God is the originator. He's the source from which all of humanity has sprung. And we are all related to each other. We all, Paul says in Acts, we all come from one blood. You know, if we trace our lineage back, whether you're Irish, African, Asian, American, we all go back to Noah in our lineage. And from Noah, we all go back to Adam So in that sense, broadly and generally, we all come from God and we're all siblings in that large family of humanity, but that's not what Jesus is talking about when He talks about His followers addressing God as Father. This is, unpopularly, this is a very exclusive appeal to God as Father, and everyone cannot make this. This appeal to God as Father is only for those who through faith in Christ have made God, Yahweh, their Father. The epistles in the New Testament is quite clear on this. There's no way to get around it. It's unpopular in the larger culture, but it's what the New Testament says and it's what Jesus says. You remember in John 1, verse 12, John tells us that Jesus had come to His own group, the Jewish nation. But he'd generally been rejected. But he says there, To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's those who believe in Jesus who have the right to be called children of God, and that's who Jesus is addressing here. That we can address God as Father because we've become his children through faith in Christ. Romans 8.15, Paul says it this way, You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul uses the Aramaic there. Pater in the Greek, Abba in the Aramaic for dad, papa, daddy, that very personal name for God. Now, God is a very gracious God. And he may choose to hear and answer the prayer of someone who's not a Christian. He can, and I think often he does because he's good and he's gracious. The difference is, he's not bound to. He's not bound to. Someone else does not have the standing of a child before God. Imagine if your child, grand as they are, great as they are, if your child comes up to me and asks me to buy them a bicycle, I may hold that request out fairly loosely. I may say, well, you know, probably not. Uh, nice as your child is. And generous as I am, I might say, look at my budget and say, you know, it's just not there. Sorry. But you might go ask your own parents. If my own child comes up and says, Dad, I need, need a bike to get to work or get to school, you see, I have a relationship that has demands on me that my neighbor's child doesn't. Jesus' invitation to address God as Father is to His children. And we become His children through faith in His Son. No way around it. If we want to approach God as Father in prayer, we have to know that we've become His child through faith in Jesus. There's no other way around it. So this is a promise. It's an invitation to those who through faith in Christ have come into the family of God, into the household of faith, and therefore God is our Father. And we can petition Him as a child would their father. Sonship should not be taken for granted. We've got to understand that we've become God's child through faith in His Son. Jesus' start to this model prayer, our Father, is His invitation to pray as sons of God in the name of the Son of God to our common Father. John 20, verse 17, Jesus said to Mary after the resurrection, Go to my brother's, They're my brothers. Say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and to your God. Jesus' model prayer invites us to come to God with the boldness and confidence of a child to their parent, either in the company of God's other children or with His other children in mind. pray, Jesus says, like this guys, you know, I'm going to be really, really glad when we're in the holodome next week with air conditioning. You know it's a lot easier to stay awake during a teaching if it's a little cooler and my back will be sweating less too. But this invitation to prayer, it's a serious invitation. Prayer should be the norm for us. Private, personal prayer should be the norm. Corporate prayer should be the norm. And we've got this great invitation from our older sibling, our older brother Jesus, to enter into the presence of his Father and say, Dad, here we are. Dad, here's our needs. Abba, Father. Lord, thanks so much that at your cost, at the cost of your beloved, only begotten Son, Jesus, we can become members of your household. Father, thanks so much for your rich mercy and grace. Thanks for the invitation to come before you in prayer, to pour out our heart to you. Lord, to remember the needs of others around us to you, to pray with and for each other. Father, I pray that you would revolutionize our thinking and our relationship both to you and to those around us in the body of Christ as well as those in the world around us, Lord, through prayer. God, would you draw us closer to yourself? In Jesus' name, amen.